who brought the light to Andrew and John, what John the Baptist did, he pointed them to Jesus. Who brought the light to Simon Peter? It was his brother Andrew. He pointed him to Jesus. I want to talk this weekend about three kings, one pharaoh, and one governor. It's been a long time since I've done a two-part sermon. This will evolve into that. Speaking of the king, who brought the light to Nebuchadnezzar? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel chapter 3. Who brought the light to Sennacherib, son of Sargon II, in charge of the Syrian Empire? Well, that was Jonah. Who brought the light to Darius, king of Babylon? Why, that was Daniel. Who has brought the light to you? Mom and Dad, Grandma and Grandpa, Great Grandma, Great Grandpa, some friend at work, some Christian in the hospital where you had surgery, your oncologist, who brought you to the light? I'm always blessed and honored on Tuesdays to teach in one of the classrooms in our parochial school. This past Tuesday was Mrs. Bliss's classroom, the third graders, and she gave me an assignment. She said, Pastor, I want you to talk about Pharaoh and Moses and the ten plagues and the Red Sea. And that's what we did. But we expanded the playlist. And we talked about three kings. And we talked about one governor. The Pharaoh was Ramses II. One king, Nebuchadnezzar. The other king, Darius. Third king, Sennacherib. And the governor we shall speak of next week is Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, the one who presided at the trial of Jesus and gave the order for his crucifixion. Three kings, one pharaoh, one governor. The text I want to use this weekend applies to all of them. For all of them were very wise. They surrounded themselves with the wisest man the empire could find. Political finesse, military power, political skill. They were surrounded by the wisest men. And each of them was very powerful at the time that those kings ruled and at the time that Pharaoh ruled. They had the mightiest armies in the world. They were all powerful. They were all wise. And they all were very wealthy. They had all the wealth that a trade route could bring. They had all the wealth that the tentacles expanding throughout their empire could bring. And they had all the wealth that their armies could bring to them. Wise, powerful, wealthy. And Jeremiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, wrote these words. Let not the wise men of this earth boast in their wisdom... And let not the wealthy men on this earth boast in their wealth. And let not the powerful men who have climbed up the ladder of politics or work or anything else, 
Let not the powerful man boast in their power. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that I know the Lord God Almighty, the one who gives mercy upon this earth, the one who gives justice upon this earth, and the one who executes righteousness on this earth. Let him who boasts, Boast in that. What mercy does he give? Mercy while you live your life on this planet. What form does mercy take? Every time you and I sin, and every time he forgives that sin, every time we have done something wrong, as small as a cuss word coming out of your mouth, or when we do something as large as some sin, such as adultery or addiction to drug that destroys your life, or embezzlement or anything else, whether the sin be the smallest fraction of one, or whether it be one that can affect a life for generations to come, when we ask God to forgive, He forgives. And what prompts His heart to forgive? It's the one word called Mercy. Why do the angels in heaven rejoice over every sinner who repents? It has to do with you. Your guardian angel up there in heaven rejoices when you say, I've been on the wrong path, wrong words, wrong thoughts, wrong deeds, and I want to get back on the right path. Your guardian angel rejoices. But the other reason they rejoice is this. They get to see God's mercy. They get to see God's mercy. They get to see the end result of Jesus Christ dying on that cross because when you come to God and you say, forgive me my sin, the spigot goes on and what flows forth is His mercy. And the angels say, Christ's death on that cross was not in vain. He has let loose His mercy once again. That's mercy. Don't boast in your wisdom, your wealth, or your power. Boast in this, that you know God who delivers mercy, justice, righteousness. What is justice? Justice is the fact that you and I do not get what we deserve. You and I do not get what we deserve. We get God's justice as filtered through the death of His Son. How does the Bible put it? You are not redeemed by things such as silver and gold. You are redeemed. God's justice is satisfied. You are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot or blemish. You and I see our sins. You and I have a difficult time letting go of the memory of those sins Oh, we have repented and God has forgiven. God does a lot better job with our sins than we do. He doesn't remember them. We do. For 10 or 15 or 20 or 60 or 70 years and we end up confessing that sin to a priest or a pastor on our deathbed. We remember it that long. 
God doesn't. Psalm 103, 12, as far as east is from the west, even so far has your sin been removed from you. Micah 7, 18, what does God do with our sin? He tramples our sin under His feet and throws it into the depths of the sea. That's justice. God's form of justice My son died. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he paid the penalty for your sin. Mercy while we live. Justice while we live. Righteousness while we live. You got his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful. Are we good at that? No. Blessed are the peacemakers. Are we good at that? No. Blessed are those who mourn over suffering and sin. Are we good at that? No. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Are we good at that? No. When righteousness comes, when we walk the right path, every time that happens, every time the right word comes out of your mouth instead of the wrong word, every time the right deed comes from your hands and feet and not the wrong deed, every time that happens... You ought to lift up your hands and say, Thank you, Holy Spirit of God. For He is the one that produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and a gentle spirit and the ability to self-control your moods, your words, your actions. The Holy Spirit does it. And what about when we die? Mercy when we die? The Bible says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Your body will die because of sin. Your soul will live because of imputed righteousness. Mercy when you die. Justice when you die. Christ died for all the just for the unjust, that He might present us before the throne of God. Righteousness when we die. God made Christ who knew no sin to be a sin offering for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Mercy, justice, righteousness, all throughout this day, all throughout your life. Mercy, justice, righteousness, when your loved one was called home to heaven, and when you and I are called home to heaven. Not in wealth, not in power, not in wisdom. Rejoice that you know Him and He knows you. Mrs. Bliss, let me talk about Pharaoh Ramses II. Sitting out there with Josie. Three years old today. What does Ramses see with his own eyes? He sees Moses, whom perhaps he recognizes, though he's been gone for 40 years. Theologians argue over whether Ramses 
knew that Moses was his supposed half-brother, found in the Nile River, raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Theologians like to argue whether he knew or not. But here is Moses standing in front of the mighty Pharaoh. And when uh, Ramses sees Moses, Moses as the instrument of El Shaddai, Jehovah, Lord God Almighty, Moses says to Pharaoh, let God's people go. They've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They are not yours, Pharaoh Ramses. They are not your property, Pharaoh Ramses II. They are not Egypt's property. They are the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They belong to God. Let them go, Pharaoh. What does Pharaoh see? Moses standing in front of him. El Shaddai, supposedly, the one who sent him. And Pharaoh, without a blink of an eye, Pharaoh, without a blink of an eye, says to him, that's not going to happen. What does Pharaoh then see? The ten plagues, they come. Three chapters, Exodus 7 through 9. Here come the plagues. The water is turned into blood. The water is the Nile River. And then we have frogs coming and then lice and flies and livestock dying and boils and hails and locusts and darkness. And by the time the plagues have run their course, there is nothing left in Egypt. What the locusts didn't eat, the hail destroyed. There is nothing left in Egypt. Some theologians believe the plagues lasted for an entire year. Other theologians say, no, the length of each plague was about six days. And after a month and a half, they were all done. When Pharaoh sees the first two plagues, he calls his wise men. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. He calls his wise men. And the magicians are able to turn a little bit of water into blood, and they're able to produce some frogs. And Pharaoh says to Moses, cheap trick, nothing to do with El Shaddai. Your people will remain slaves. When the third plague comes, his wise men go to Pharaoh, and they're trembling because this might cost them their life. The wise men say to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. Our cheap tricks with regards to turning water into blood and the frogs coming, those were magic tricks. This is the finger of God. They dare not say to Pharaoh, it would cost them their life. They dare not say to Pharaoh, El Shaddai is God and you're not. That would have cost them their life. They do not dare say to Pharaoh, here's what I would do if I was in your sandals, because that would cost them their life. They say to Pharaoh as much as they could without risking their heads, this is the finger of God. Two or three times during the plagues, Pharaoh said, yeah, it's God, and I should listen to Moses, and I should obey his God, 
and I should let the Israelites go. But you know how the story went. Each time when a plague came to an end, Pharaoh said, wasn't God after all? Just a natural occurrence. Wasn't God after all? 2022. Pastor Shower and I know you guys pretty well. Andrew Montgomery and the teachers know some of the families very well. We know when a plague is going on in your life. And the plagues are not the water out of your faucet turning to blood, and they're not lice or frogs or your livestock dying. Your plagues and ours are the illnesses that come in 2022, or the illnesses that will come in 2023. The cancer's returned. The diagnosis is dementia. I'm sorry, the numbness in your hands and feet is MS. The illnesses come. The accidents come. They came last year. They come this year. You'll have so many blessings this year, you won't have a notebook large enough for it, because every time you wake up in the morning, and you can see and you don't have macular degeneration or glaucoma, you put that down as a blessing. And if you can hear, and if you can walk, and if your mind can still reason, you'll have so much in that book, you won't have room for all the blessing. Let alone the babies that are coming, the marriage that is on the horizon, the job advancement you just received. There will be so many blessings. But a plague most likely will come. And it will be health. Or it will be finances. Or it will be relationships. The marriage that ended last year in divorce. The fracture between the son and his dad. The fracture between the daughter and his mom, her mom. Relationship plagues, health plagues, finance plagues. What will you do when they come? Pharaoh three times said, this is God. And when it was over, he was back to business as usual. What about you and I when the plague comes? For many of us, When the plague comes, all of a sudden, this God, who has been rather invisible to us, becomes exceedingly visible. All of a sudden, a light bulb goes off in our life, and we find devotion books like the man at LA Fitness. And we read them ferociously. And we see a devotion. Joshua calls this past week. He, he says to Connie, they've moved my consult. It's not on the 18th anymore. It's on the 25th. Got to wait another week. And Connie freaks out a little bit. And Joshua says, 
Let me send you the devotion that I read this morning before I found out that news. Because this devotion changes everything, Mom. And the devotion was about the fact that God is with us in every circumstance that we face, and it's God's timing that is involved in every circumstance we face. What did Joshua see? He saw the hand of God in the devotion. What did his old man see? What did Connie see? The hand of God in the devotion. And so it is for so many of us, when the plague comes, we get really, really close to God. We open up the Bible and say, my goodness gracious, look at the verse God put right in front of my face. Look at the devotion that God put it right in front of my face. How many times do you guys say, Pastor Shower, Pastor Strand, are you bugging our house? Are you bugging our house? Are you listening on the telephone? How in the world could you know what was going on in my house because the sermon you delivered was all about me and my circumstance. It's not shower strand that have your house bugged. It's God. He's got your house bugged and your life bugged. He knows everything that is going on. And the Bible gets tired. Not really. The Bible gets tired of telling you how powerful God is. How loving God is, and how wise God is. Happened that way for Connie and myself 18 years ago. Got so close to God over Jonathan. And guess what? 18, 19 years later, even closer Didn't that happen with you? Didn't it start 15 years ago when you were at the bottom of the barrel like the prodigal son and you said, I can't go any lower? Didn't that happen for you when your loved one died and you knew they were safe with God in heaven, their suffering was over? Didn't that happen for you? And instead of walking away from him, getting back to business as usual, after two or three months went by, you just get kept getting closer to Him. Here's the deal. 2023. You can live your life without His presence as the driving force. His purpose, His decisions, His, your reactions to the circumstances of life. You can live your life without his presence as the driving force. That's what Pharaoh ended up doing. And when the Israelites walked through the waters of the Red Sea, and they were safe, and you have the first song in the Bible, Miriam writes it after they pass through the Red Sea, and she's giving all glory, not to Moses, but she's giving all glory to God. And Pharaoh... Without God as a driving force, he walks into the Red Sea and the liquid pillars come crashing down on on his army. He is destroyed. 
You can live your life without His presence as a driving force. Or, you can live your life not with your wisdom as a driving force, not with the fact that you are politically powerful or you're the CEO of your company as a driving force, not with your bank account, you got a million dollars in there as your driving force, You can live your life with His presence as a driving force. His presence. And then when that circumstance goes south, you head north. (laughs) Psalm 121, I lift my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. When your circumstance goes south, you lift your eyes north. Because that's what you boast in. That you know the Lord God Almighty who grants you mercy every day, who grants you justice every day, and who grants you the path of righteousness every day. That's Pharaoh. My assignment was completed. Next week, Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, Sennacherib, and Pontius Pilate. Let me have a prayer with you. Heavenly Father, we're no different than Pharaoh Ramses. He woke up every morning. He had circumstances of life. He might have had great power, wealth, and wisdom, but he didn't have you. And as we've said pretty often the last few weeks, If we have everything but we don't have you, we have nothing. And if we have nothing and we have you, we have everything. Fifteen days into this new year, dear Lord, may we continue to know you better. And may you be the driving force in our lives and the lives that we reach out to and touch for the sake of the kingdom. Such things we ask in our Lord's name. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.